This can be played at high volume. Live and local. This is the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. It's Saturday, and you know what that means. Finally time for the world-famous CD to step to the mic for two straight hours of no-holds-barred sports talk. It's better than Desperate Housewives. Are you You better get ready. Yeah! Yeah! Because Under the Dome with CD starts right now. Let's do it. I'm ready. Let's do it. And good morning, beautiful people. How are you doing on this Saturday morning? It's a happy Saturday morning in my part of the world because of the fact that we have sports in our lives. We've got baseball. It is in full swing on the pro level. Hell, we're on the tail end of a great weekend of college baseball from the LSU Tigers to the Louisiana Raging Cajuns and all places in between. The NBA playoffs are getting underway tonight. We're that we're just about well less than two weeks away from the NFL draft. I cannot wait to talk about that and so much more with you over these next two hours. It's under the dome with CD. Appreciate you listening in, however you're doing. So be it through the FM dial 1037 in Lafayette, or if you're more towards the Lake Charles area. Make sure you flip it over just a couple scotches over to 1041. Or you can check us out 1037thegame.com, 1041thegame.com. Our free mobile app. Just search the game 1037. The game 1041. It's just that simple, folks. Get in on the action and make sure you listen in to the show. And also, while you're at it, give us a follow on social media. Just search The Game Louisiana. You'll find us. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And we're bringing you nothing over the next two hours but straight-up sports talk. And I'm always down to do that. And on a day like today, I want to start off a little bit differently. I don't have anything that's really got me tied up in a knot and make me wonder about my mental sanity. Well, nothing more than the usual stuff. I'll just go ahead and say that first things first. But this Saturday sports sermon is a little bit different. We talk about NIL. We've talked about a lot. Last week, we talked a good bit about it on the LHSAA side of things. Now I can kind of get that word out. But we're going to go back to where it all started. The crux of the conversation we're going to be having for weeks, months, years, you name it. And we start with your Saturday sports sermon. So let's get down to what's causing all this. The famous CD is on his soapbox to start your Saturday. It's time for your Saturday sports sermon. So who would have thought that Nick Saban, Nick Saban was going to be the guy to start a conversation that I think we've all been having for a good while and is saying exactly what we're all thinking. We may hate him because he left LSU to go to the NFL, realized it didn't work out for him, then turned tail and landed back at the college ranks at the most hated school for the old war school. I'm talking about LSU joining that Alabama Crimson Tide, that evil empire. At the end of the day, we all have to agree. What he said in an interview with the Associated Press speaks bleeping volumes 
is that what they're doing right now with NIL is not a sustainable model. And I have to agree with him wholeheartedly. But he takes it a step further where I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of that happening, saying that it's going to lead to buying players. I feel like that's a very distinct possibility, but I would hope, upon hope, that the NC2A, Mark Emmert and crew, could finally get their heads together and get their wits about them to where the decision is made to start regulating. It's something that I talked about a lot last week when discussing the LHSA and how much if NIL ever becomes a thing, they're going to have to heavily regulate it. The NCAA is going to have to regulate every single thing about it. It's just going to be an inevitability because you're going to get more of those guys with the brown bags not necessarily having to be brown bagging it. They can just come right out and flaunt it now. Guys like Odell Beckham Jr. handing out $100 bills to players after they won the national championship. He could do that in public and nobody would give a flying Walinda about it. This team, this team that Alabama has is full of great players, four-star players, transfers, you name it. They're all going to get big-time NIL deals because of the name brand that Alabama brings to the table. LSU, the same kind of thing. It's going to become a bidding war, a arms race, if you will. I think that part's inevitable. But whenever Nick Saban goes ahead and says what he said about the future of the NCAA not being a sustainable model, and I'll agree with him in the sense that I think what he's believing is that the, the state of the union will not change anytime soon. And I can completely understand where he's coming from on that. Because based off of everything that we've seen from the NCAA over the last, let's say, 20 years, things haven't changed. Things have moved at a very glacial pace. We're still dealing with the final four of college football. And that's almost a decade old, old at this point. It took us how long to go from just whoever was going to be the national champion was whoever was on top of the AP poll to going to the BCS? How long did it take us to get out of the BCS and into this college football playoff? And how long is it going to take for us to get out of this current construct and eventually go to an eight-team or even in this hypothetical world of a 12-team college football playoff? God only knows, but I don't think that's going to be anytime soon. Which is why I think the NIL, it's not a sustainable model in the long term. I agree with him wholeheartedly, but I don't think this is going to be leading to what he calls buying players. I think this will lead to some institutionalizing of some sort of free agency when it comes to getting players and also making sure that you don't have a situation where a top flight recruit. Let's just go ahead and put it in perspective real quick. And let's use some names from the past. Let's throw the first name I'm going to bring up right now. Odell Beckham Jr., Leonard Fournette. Let's use those two names, for instance, just for consistency's sake. And you know these two names better than anybody else. These, these guys were big names at LSU and were highly touted players coming out of high school that could have landed on any other program across the country and made an impact. So let's start with those two. Let's say... Odell Beckham Jr. is offered by LSU and they give an opportunity to go play for 
whatever, insert team here, for LSU or let's say Alabama comes at him with a better offer. I think that's where this conversation begins and ends in my book. You cannot, in good conscience, do what I'm thinking they're trying to do in the current construct of the NCAA, NCAA is have your boosters, your sponsors, whatever it is with the NIL education, have a setup where you're going to wind up getting things done in a different way. You have to focus in on making sure you are doing the right thing by the players and by their respective administrators of the NCAA. As far as I'm concerned, the NCAA has to put in a mandate to where certain players, like let's say Odell Beckham Jr., when he's being heavily recruited by LSU, Alabama, Auburn, and pretty much every damn team in the entire state or in the entire country, excuse me. The entire country is wanting Odell Beckham Jr. The entire country is wanting Leonard Fournette. Hell, right now they're wanting Arch Manning, Texas, Georgia. LSU even is still in the running for this man that is going to be a generational talent according to all measurements. But if you have to wind up offering him a strong-ass offer to steal a phrase from one Will Wade, you got to wonder where your morals lie in all this. You have to start questioning how you feel about a lot of different things when you do this. It's a slippery slope when we talk about the future of college football if these guys who are being recruited are being offered more to go to school X or school Y, school A or school B. That's where this whole conversation is going to shift. Because then... It's anybody who is going to be recruited. You cannot allow them to be recruited. And that includes the transfer portal. Because the transfer portal, according to a lot of people, especially if you wear vermilion and white glasses, I think you all know, they saw a lot of guys jump over to the proverbial dark side, going from the vermilion and white to the purple and gold. And it definitely stuck a crawl in a lot of people's mouths. And here's the thing. They did that for the opportunity to maximize their potential, to maximize their dollar. How many of those guys could have an opportunity to play in the NFL if everything works out the way that they expected to? I don't know that answer. But knowing that those guys are making that jump and having the opportunity to make more money because they're going to a bigger name brand that is partnered up with bigger names, case in point, Gordon McKernan, a key example, a prime example of what I'm talking about. Now, when it comes to those smaller schools, they're going to have to try and keep up and fight to keep some of those key players from not jumping over to an LSU or an Alabama or any other program that's willing to offer them a good bit of money to come over. I think the cost of attendance site is as far as you're going to be willing to go. The NIL is just a little bit of lanyap or lanyap, depending on what part of the state you're from. That's kind of where this whole thing is for me. I think the NIL is a, has been a great thing because it's helped people get more opportunities to make more money. That's what you need in the world of college football today. But I think there's a there's a slippery slope. And there's a line where you can't cross. And I think it all starts and really starts and ends with one thing and one thing only. And that is the young player. The young guy can't be taken advantage of. You can't take them on a free ride. And it's a lot like what I talked about last weekend 
when I mentioned the LHSAA and their decision to kind of start educating, to start speaking to the players, to start speaking to the coaches, the ADs, all those guys. They spoke with them to explain, hey, this is how it is. This is how it's going to look going forward. Let us help you become better informed on how to handle this because there's going to be a lot of people coming at you with a quote-unquote free ride. And if anybody's seen the Temptations movie from back in the day, you know what I'm talking about when I talk about a free ride. And they get an opportunity to have this big thing go down, but let's say it's a snake oil salesman type thing and you wind up getting bit. It's immediately what I think about when I think about that big opportunity that you keep hearing about, making sure these guys don't get pretty much robbed blind by snake oil salesmen. That is a great thing to see. Now, when it comes to what happens with the NCAA and how they regulate it, that's a different conversation for a different show that I think we'll be getting more into down the road, maybe in the summertime. But what Nick Saban said, it's a valid point, but it's not necessarily the whole story And I don't think we'll find out what that whole story is until a couple of years down the road when we start seeing how the recruiting process influences certain players. Because let's say Arch Manning, I'm going to bring him up one more time because he's definitely going to be a guy we talk about a lot between now and December of 2022, maybe into February of 2023. He's going to be a name. He's that big name that. If he swings one way or another, the conversation is going to be how much did that school offer? How much did those boosters and alumni offer him to jump after all the time of us wondering, who's he going to jump to? Who's he going to commit to? Is it going to be Texas, Georgia, LSU, USC, you name it. The guy has gotten almost a trip to every single big name college over the last like 12 to 18 months since COVID restrictions have largely been lifted. This man has been on more college trips than I think anybody on God's green earth because he's deserving, but it makes you wonder what if a dark horse comes out like a Notre Dame, like an Alabama or an Auburn or even a Florida, let's say Billy Napier snatches him up. makes you wonder how deep those pockets could be and how much that could affect the future of the league because I have a lot of questions and I have a lot of comments. More importantly, I have a lot of concerns about the future of college football if it becomes something like that where it's very much wild, wild west. Maybe it's me being naive. I just don't see it happening in that way. All right, it's Under the Dome with CD. Appreciate you listening in. We're going to keep the conversation rolling on about the world of sports. Going to get into it with our good friend Ty Batiste. He's going to talk about some NBA and also some WrestleMania because he was in Dallas a few weeks ago. And hopefully you enjoy that conversation just as much as I do bringing it to you. We'll talk to him next. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and this is Under the Dome with CD. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Appreciate you listening in. And I got to say, if you love Festival International as much as I do, you want to get on the on the action, but you also don't want to deal with 
a lot of long drink lines, restrooms that kind of stink to high heaven and aren't necessarily the best in the world. Trust me, we want to give you the best experience in the world with the Festival International Prize Pack that includes a pair of Bon Ton passes. These things are sold out, people, so you want to get in on this action as soon as you can. Sign up today in the Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, and you'll get a chance to score a pair of those Bon Ton passes, meaning you'll get exclusive access to front row and stage areas for some of the best performances that you'll ever see shaded seating. And trust me, it's probably be pretty warm during festival weekend. So shaded seating, a big plus air conditioned restrooms, express drink lines, shirts, pins, and even a poster. Trust me. We got you covered to experience festival like never before by winning the festival international prize pack from Southwest Louisiana sports station to you. And we're talking about the game. One Oh three, seven Lafayette and one Oh four, one Lake Charles. And now we'll kind of, Flip the conversation over because the NBA playoffs, we had the play in tournament. That's all said and done, but it's officially underway tonight. And there's going to be some intriguing matchups on tap tonight, like Mavs and Jazz should be a lot of fun. The nightcap, Nuggets, Warriors. And we'll talk about all that and so much more with our next guest. He is the managing editor for the NBA as part of The Athletic. He is one of South Louisiana's finest, and we're talking about Tyler Batiste. Tyler, how you doing, brother? I'm doing great. How are you, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Before we get into the NBA talk, I think we need to talk about what happened a couple of weeks ago because you were a busy man, probably more busy than you had been doing some NBA coverage because of how much wall-to-wall wrestling was going down in Jerry World, the biggest wrestling weekend of the year WrestleMania weekend, you're out there covering it alongside your tag team partner, the other half of your Harlem Heat, I guess, with Chris Vanini over at The Athletic. What was that experience like for you covering it versus maybe going as a fan? I tell you, man, it was it was a great. I'd never been in the press box for a wrestling event before, much less um, a press box like the one at Jerry World and a press box for an event as big as WrestleMania. Um, I went to Dallas for WrestleMania 32, and I just remember um, how much of a pain it was to get in. I think at the time they like they they switched over how they did the ticketing, maybe for AT&T yeah. Stadium, and it was. I, I remember missing the first two pre-show matches, and I think a large part of the third one, and it was just a pain again. And obviously, as a member of the media, uh, <laughs> that wasn't an issue. But man, it, it was it was exciting. I was I was kind of expecting. Um, maybe expecting a couple of empty seats up at the top, but everything I saw was full, um, you know, a great view with that, with that huge video board. The crowd was hot both nights. I think night one just it really exceeded a lot of people's expectations, and that just made people really excited for night two. And uh, just a great event overall and something I hope that they, they stick with going over this two-night format. All right, before we get to the two-night format, you brought up something about the fact you were in the press box, you are in the press area. And one of the old rules, the old guard, they constantly tell you <laughs> no cheering in the press box. Now, was that rule lifted for two nights only in Jerry World where cheering was allowed, especially during a moment like Cody Rhodes debuting or making his return to the WWE? I tell you, man, I had never been in a press box where there was as much reaction to what was going on as, as that weekend. So I don't think the uh, the wrestling journalists adhere to that that old school rule of no cheering in the press box. And I think a lot of them even took it a step further, uh, you know, kind of singing, uh, you know, Cody's theme song and a couple of other ones as they were coming out. So yeah, that was something that took a little while to get used to just because of, uh, you know, what you're, 
accustomed to from from your own uh, career in, in, in the past. But, uh, no, it was fun, man. I hope to do it again someday. And if you had a chance to do it over, let's say next year, WrestleMania 39 rolls around and the athletics like, hey, Tyler, why don't you make it over there to Los Angeles, go cover what is undoubtedly probably going to be the biggest WrestleMania match of all time, potentially Roman versus The Rock. I know they're already teasing it on Young Rock, but the question <laughs> is, would you rather attend the event as a fan or would you want to be kind of running it up again and be a media member for the show of shows? You know what? This is going to sound weird, but uh, I think I'd rather I'd rather be there as as a media member. Um, I, uh, I it was a it was just a unique experience. I mean, I've been to several um, events, WrestleMania, you know, SummerSlam, Raw, SmackDown, whatever. And it's just a different perspective when you're in there with a lot of people who are covering, um, you know, what's going on, but also they're in the know. I mean, it's just like a regular press box. You hear people talking about rumors of what could happen or what they might have heard is happening. Um, you just kind of get a real different perspective. I think if I could change it next time, um, there were a lot of events um, locally around the Dallas area that a lot of superstars made appearances at, and, and I think it would have been good if we turned the dial up a little bit more and, and, and covered um, covered that a little bit more, got a few more stories out of that. But I think all in all, for the first go-around, um, I think our coverage was fantastic, and I hope people out there um, who found it over on the Athletics uh, website enjoyed it as well. And it was some fantastic stuff, especially as you were watching it live. You had that going on because, trust me, I'm sure a lot of people yeah. were kind of doubling down because you had, obviously, the Final Four in New Orleans that Saturday for watching. Like me, I was watching Final Four on the big screen and then on the laptop having the Peacock stream, able to watch it all just and, and just in, engulf myself into all of it. But we bring up the fact it's a two-night event now, a two-night spectacular. Are you a fan or are you not a fan of the two nights? I, I'm a fan, man. I think I, you know, I've gone to a few WrestleManias, not counting this one that just happened, and they were all one night. And and I'm sure you know this. Like by the time the main event rolls around, sometimes, especially if there's a pre-show and there's a couple of matches that uh, on that, you know, you're an hour, you know, six, seven, eight of watching, you know, you know, live wrestling. Which I love wrestling, but that's a long night. Uh, and sometimes it just kind of kills the crowd when you get toward the end, and 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 it doesn't give. The performers, the the attention, the juice, the energy that they they deserve, especially when you're looking at something like a main event that they built up to for you know weeks and months ahead of time. So um, the two night event, you know, obviously traffic and whatnot is um, can be a hassle, but you know to keep it at a nice you know three three and a half hours each night, you still have time to maybe get back to your your hotel room or see some friends or grab a grab a drink or two afterwards, to where you're not out until. Uh, one or two in the morning, um, you know, I think I think two nights is the, is the way to go. And, and, you know, if you can fill up a building twice um, as opposed to once, if you're a business, I don't see why you wouldn't do it. Oh, exactly. Like you had, what, was it 100,000 the last time they went to Jerry World? Allegedly 100,000, I should say. And you want to be like 70K both nights is 140,000. That's way more. That's more money for you, more money in your pockets. I don't see why they don't continue doing that going forward. And I have to agree with you. You have it three and a three and a half hour show, and it's paced really well. It doesn't feel like it is a complete slog. But all right, right, now, right. let me talk about wrestling because I've got a whole podcast dedicated to that. Maybe I'll get you on that before too long. Yeah, have, have me, have me on, man. I'm around. <laughs> but before we get into that, we got to get into the NBA. And before we get into the postseason itself, one team that's on the outside looking in that I was kind of surprised at was obviously one. Los Angeles Lakers franchise with LeBron James. This is a team that looked to be built for that super team type feel we saw about a decade ago with the Miami Heat. 
they looked like they were going to try and get back into the finals. But now they're not nowhere near it. You have LeBron James injured. Anthony Davis starting to become more of that injury-prone guy we saw with the Pelicans. How surprised were you to see this Lakers team that before the season seemed poised to be like strong, strong favorites, not even sniffing the play-in tournament? Extremely, extremely surprised. I think I, I wasn't as high on uh, the Lakers as I think maybe a lot of people were before the season. A lot of people had them, you know, as the hands-down um, favorite out West, especially um, considering what teams like Utah and Phoenix did last season. I don't think that that quite made sense, but um, there's no way I would have put money on them not being in the playoffs, much less not even being in the in the play-in tournament. Um, a lot of that was obviously due to injuries, as you mentioned, um, with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but a lot of it was just the supporting cast. Um, Russell Westbrook being chief among them, like it's not he's not the type of player, and I think it's it's easy to say that in hindsight because hindsight's twenty twenty. But he's not the type of player who can just kind of adjust to whatever role you might need from him. He plays a certain way. That's the way that he's been successful, and it's tough to tell someone who's been um, so successful from a numbers perspective for you know ten twelve years to all of a sudden change the way that you do things. Um, so that coupled with some of the supporting cast members who were around uh, the team, Carmelo Anthony, Trevor Ariza, um, they got some surprises from some guys like Malik Monk. But you know, you kind of think if you have two pillars, two top, you know, top ten guys, arguably when they're talent, when they're completely healthy, and LeBron and AD, you think you'd at least be able to scrape into the playing tournament. And, and and when they got eliminated, I was shocked. I was definitely shocked as well. And talking right now with Tyler Baptiste of The Athletic, it makes you wonder, what's next for LeBron James? Because obviously he's been a big focal point of conversations concerning what his future could look like. Obviously, he's probably going to be playing out till his son, Bronny's ready to play in the NBA, maybe play one season with him and call it a day. But does he stick around with the Lakers this offseason, or does he try and find that greener pastures? I think he's, I think he's going to be in L.A. For, uh, for the rest of his career, honestly. I think he's got... So many other things non-basketball related that are it's just easier to have access to and to coordinate, you know, from a business standpoint, if you're already in Hollywood. Um, that's not to say that he, you know, can't do that or hire people to do that if he plays elsewhere. But, you know, once he reaches, um, you know, once he reaches L.A. and he's already won a title there, but people always say, you know, oh, well, that was in the bubble, so it doesn't count. You know what I mean? I think, yep. I think he's probably got a, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder to try to get it done. Um, in Los Angeles over these next couple of years. So uh, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. Now, he is eligible for an extension this offseason. I think he's eligible for a, a two-year extension because of his age. He, it can't be more than two years, so that would keep him there after next season. Um, does he sign that extension this offseason? Does he wait until next offseason? I think that's a legitimate question, but I don't foresee him playing for another um, franchise. Now, in a couple of years, you guys can make fun of me and tell me how wrong I am, but... <laughs> Oh, trust me, we'll have this thing archived. We'll talk about it a couple years down the road, <laughs> whatever I'm working for some big-name company. Maybe I'm still with the game. Who knows what's going to happen in a couple years' time when it's all when the dust does indeed settle. But we'll go to the playoffs right now, look at a couple of the matchups on tap more tonight. Don't want to look too far ahead into Sunday's action. But the Toronto Raptors, they're back in the playoffs after a brief absence last season, weren't a part of the playoffs. How impressive have you been with how this franchise is kind of kind of kept the ship afloat because for a, a little bit like after you saw Kawhi Leonard leave I think a lot of people's expectations were that this team after winning an NBA championship 
was going to be a lot like the Miami Marlins were back in the early 2000s with Dontrell Willis and crew. Once that thing started to fall apart, it fell apart real quick. But it's really amazing to see how quickly they have become a like basically a perennial team making it year in and year out. Maybe not making it to the championship every year, but at least getting into the playoffs. It's definitely better than what they had been. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely impressed. They got off to a slow start this season, um, and people kind of wondered whether, whether you know, this would be another postseason-less uh, campaign for them. But they turned it on really quickly. Fred Van Fleet and, and Pasco Siakam are, are two all-star level players. They've got a great supporting cast and a, a really good coach. And I think one of the things people kind of forget about Toronto is that that 2019 team was kind of the culmination of something that had been building – um, before that, you know, with, they had Dwayne Casey was with De- DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. You know, they were a consistent playoff team. They they were making it out of the first round. They reached the conference finals in in 2016 and 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 didn't didn't get uh, didn't get over the hump. Then I think they won 59 or so games in in 2018, um, and unfortunately for them, lost in the conference semifinals. So Kawhi Leonard was kind of the last piece to the puzzle, and not just kind of a one year let's tear it down and build it up for one, one year type situation. So they've proven as an organization that they could build towards something uh, culminating in a championship. Um, maybe this is the start of that. Again, if they, you know, they've got some really nice pieces. If you keep two of those core guys like Van Fleet and, and Siakam, for instance, maybe you make a trade for a, a third superstar with some of the other pieces you have, OG Ananobi, you know, Chris Boucher, uh, you know, uh, other guys like that. So, yeah, it's just really exciting to, to, to see them uh, as a basketball fan, you know, not have that lull for that long. And I think it's really good when Toronto is interesting because the fan base up there, they care so much about the team. And, and um, you know, watching it on TV, it just, it just looks like a fun atmosphere. And the longer you can have that in the playoffs, I think the better for the, for the league as a whole. I got one more for you, Tyler, before I let you yep. go. And it's looking ahead to the NBA Finals for what you're seeing right here, right now. Who do you have coming out of the Eastern and Western Conference facing off for the Larry O'Brien Trophy number two. How great is it to have the script text back for the NBA Finals? The script text is great. Like, it should have never gone away. I, I, as you know, I live in Pittsburgh, and it reminded me of uh, when Pitt brought back its old logo, the Pitt script logo and the colors with the yellow and the blue as opposed to the uh, the navy blue and gold that they had been rocking for a, a few years. So I'm all for the script, and, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb, and if I have to pick a Finals matchup right now, this is not – going to be too uh, too surprising or anything, but I think I would pick a rematch from last year. I think Phoenix and Milwaukee. Um, I, I, I think Phoenix has been the most dominant team for most of the regular season, if not all of the regular season. Maybe that was Golden State for the first couple of weeks. And Milwaukee, you know, they're a team that they know what the regular season is about. They know what the playoffs are about. They got into a good spot. They're the three seed. It's not something where they have to overexert their energy during the regular season to, to get there. They know how to get it done. They just got it done. And there's a lot of questions with the teams in the East, Miami, um, you know, with, with, you know, Eric Spolster and Jimmy Butler had a, a, a snafu earlier in the season. You know, there's questions there. There's still some questions about James Harden, whether or not Brooklyn is going to be, um, you know, what we all thought they would be. So I think I would just play it safe, go with Milwaukee and then Milwaukee Phoenix. And I think I would probably pick Phoenix if I had to pick a champion right now, but next week I might uh, feel differently. Tyler, appreciate you coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the beginning, the official beginning of the NBA playoffs. And you take it easy, brother. Take it easy. See you.
right, that was Tyler Batiste. Appreciate him joining the program as per usual. Always love having him on, especially occasionally talk a little bit of the great sport of pro professional wrestling. And when we take a quick timeout, we're going to come back, and we're going back-to-back like we're the Bulls 96-97. And we're going to talk about Major League Baseball. We tried getting them on last week. We had some technical difficulties, some snafus. Don't worry. As you can tell, the phone lines do work, so we're going to get on our guy, Rob Fontenot of the Astros Baseball Podcast, and he's joining the program next right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. And not only are we your home for the Astros baseball games all season long, we're also your home for the Astros weekend getaways. They are finally back and we want to take you out to the ball game and enjoy some Astros baseball. And the first one of the year is going to be May 21st against those dastardly Texas Rangers, the in-state foe coming over to Minute Maid Park. I'm sure a lot of you would love to be a part of this. So all you have to do is go to the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Park. Now that COVID's kind of been no longer a thing on the whole, it looks like we're going to have a ballpark tour that's in full effect. Once again, hotel accommodations for that night. And of course, the Astros Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher Air Conditioning. La Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Make sure you get in on the action once again. Joining the Rewards Club, it's free, it's easy to do, and it'd be worth your while. Just sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And speaking of those Houston Astros, they're over in Seattle. They're still on the West Coast. It feels like a road trip that is never going to end. But thankfully, it is going to come to an end later on this week when they take on the Los Angeles Angels over in H-Town. But we're going to talk about that Astros franchise right now. They're looking good to start the season. Let's go ahead and get the conversation going right now. Aboard the game hotline is our good friend Rob Fontenot. Rob, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How's it going over there? It is going pretty darn well. And add the fact you have the Astros performing Overall, on a very high clip, it's always a good thing to see. Mind you, not necessarily the greatest performance on Wednesday afternoon. You kind of fell late in that ball game to the Arizona Timebacks, a, a game you would have loved to have had to build some momentum and, more importantly, head into the final phase of a nine-game road trip on the West Coast with even more momentum. Yeah, it would have been nice to win that game and be 5-1, and one, but for some reason... The Astros just can't score against those Diamondbacks. It, it's wild to see. And, you know, looking at the conversation that I've been having with a lot of people is one Jeremy Pena. And it's amazing to see how quickly we're starting to see, hey, the future at shortstop is a lot brighter than I think maybe some of us had expected heading into the 2022 season, knowing Carlos Correa was likely going to be out the door. Now he's with the Minnesota Twins. 
But what you say about the young rookie and what he's been able to do, making a pretty decent-sized impact on that starting nine roster? Yeah, I thought I thought he was going to have a much slower start to the season than he has. Um, he's a viable starter. I mean, I you know I was unsure about him, but I'm 100% sold on him. He's got great defense. He's got power. Um, a couple of you know dual hit games. I, I think we're in good hands there at shortstop. It's been very impressive to see what he's been able to bring to the table. And Jeremy Pena, what he's done has been impressive to see that from, especially from a young rookie. The way he had those that big game on I believe it was Saturday night. No, no, Friday he had a big game on Friday. That, I was going to have you on last Saturday. That's why Jeremy Pena kind of came to mind there. But we'll flip it over. With the pitching staff, I think Justin Verlander, for all intents and purposes, looked just as good as expected from what we saw just a few short weeks ago. Like During spring training, he looked great. It was all about how he was going to do once we got into regular season play, and he looked pretty darn good in his first ever start last weekend. Yeah, he looked really, really good. and uh, But he's he has that thing. I mean, the Astros just cannot score for him. I don't know what it is, but it just seems to happen all the time when he's out there. But super glad to have him back. Love having him in that rotation. And how huge has he been? I mean, he's been huge for that rotation. He, he brought it perfectly. The team just can't s- seem to get a hit when he's on the mound. But what can you say about the rest of this pitching staff and how it's shaken out in the first couple turns of this regular rotation, which feels a little bit different compared to past years where you know you have that certified ace in game one and game two and game three. It could it could vary from time to time. It feels like there is a veritable two or three guys that can be the aces, and we're not just talking about Verlander. Yeah, I believe uh, Framber Valdez looked like an ace opening day against the Angels. You know, he outshined Otani. And uh, he kind of had the uh, walk bug, didn't last very long in his second outing. But overall, you know, Arquiti looked good. Garcia was looking good as well. And, you know, McCullers is throwing again. So I think it's just going to get better from here on. Talk right now with Rob Fondo, host of the Astros Baseball Podcast. And you talk about... Obviously, Lance McCullough Jr. coming back from that injury he's been throwing from 60 feet over the last couple of days. When do we when should we expect him to kind of have his first taste of action? Could that be more towards the all-star break or could it be a little bit sooner? I was thinking maybe around June, but I mean, you know, he's already out there throwing. What I've heard is he's feeling good and he's ahead of schedule, so I'm going to predict before the All-Star break. I think a lot of people would love to see that Lance McCullers back for the Astros. It would be huge to have that addition to your pitching staff, which has definitely been a little bit more interesting to see how it all pieces together outside of your usual suspects, Framber Valdez being one of those guys. But looking at other players on the offensive side of the baseball, I think we need to talk about Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. We'll focus on Alex Bregman first. How impressive have you been by him? Because for a little while, it looked like maybe he didn't quite have enough, as much power as Pep, as maybe he used to. But you fast forward to what you've seen over the first week or so of the season. He looks like the Alex Bregman of old. Oh, yeah. He was voted American 
player of the week, driving in runs, hit a couple of home runs, playing amazing defense, that beautiful bare hand to get, uh, I don't know who he got out, but it was just so beautiful, and he's just playing great. And I think him stepping up and being better than he was the last two seasons takes a little bit of that sting away from losing Correa. Meanwhile, flipping it on the other side of this conversation, we need to look at Jose Altuve. Not necessarily the best start to the season for him. Hasn't necessarily panned out all that well. Only three hits on this young season. It's a very small sample size. But is it kind of a cause of concern for you to see what he's been been not able to do over the last few weeks? No, not at all. I mean, I wish he's done better. I mean, there was one hit he had that got taken away from him, like, four innings later. Uh, He's getting a lot of walks. He got two hits in his last game. If there's one person on the Astros roster that you don't have to worry about, it's Jose Altuve. He'll he'll come around. I sure hope so. Talking right now with Rob Fondo, host of the Astros Baseball Podcast. I actually just saw this pop up on my timeline. And for fans who are actually going to be going out and about to Astros baseball games of this season, you'll notice something a little bit different because they're going to be experimenting with the cashier-free payment system starting this year, kind of using Amazon as a partnership for that. How interesting do you think that's going to be over at Minute Maid Park, seeing that become more and more of a thing of the cashierless payment system to parts of the Astros stadium? I think it's pretty good. I mean, there's a few places at the stadium that are already doing that. You know, you go up the kiosk, order your food, swipe your card, and go pick up your food. Um, I don't know. Are they going to start delivering it where you're sitting? That'd be kind of wild to see how that if that would work out that way, Rob. I'd be interested to see how that goes. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for cashless. I don't like to take cash with me anywhere. I could put 100 bucks in my pocket, and it would last about six months. So I'm all about cashless. Meanwhile, we're sticking with the offense for a few moments. Let's talk about Ryan Presley because he has just been a guy that hasn't necessarily been able to take flight as maybe we expected him to. But I'm sure he's a guy that everybody's going to want to keep an eye on and see how he continues to improve over the next several weeks of the season. Yeah, he didn't look very good that last outing in the 10th inning. A couple of walks. And, you know, I think Arizona played that 10th inning very well with that, you know, sack bunt leading off. But, I mean, as bad or, you know, as mediocre as Presley's looked, he, he has three saves, and we've only played six games, so. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. A couple more questions here with our good friend Rob Fondo of the Astros Baseball Podcast. And I want to flip it over more on the MLB-wide perspective. And starting off with what happened the other night with Clayton Kershaw. He had an opportunity to have a perfect game taken away from him while being pulled from the ball game, heading into the eighth inning with a perfect game on the line. How, like... Much of a head scratcher is that to see somebody like Clayton Kershaw have an opportunity to have a perfect game and to be taken away from him in that way. I understand it's literally a week into the season, but you, sometimes you just got to let him fly. And I was stealing a phrase from the other guys here. He's a peacock, and you got to let him fly on that one. Yeah, I mean, you want to grow fans, right, to, for Major League Baseball. They're trying to get more fans. You're in everything they can to get more eyes on the game 
you don't take a superstar out that's pitching a perfect game with only 80 pitches. You don't take them out. It's not a no-hitter. It's, it's a perfect game. You can't do that if you're trying to grow the game. I got one more for you. You're talking about growing the game. It's a perfect segue into my final question. If you were able to take control of the MLB and change one thing about it, what would it be? I would probably change that ghost runner. I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I don't know. It seems like almost one run is a given, and I just don't like it. I like the seven-inning doubleheader rule. I, I'm okay with that, but I can do without that ghost runner because it just, it just changes the game. Thank you so much for coming on, my man. We'll talk to you down the road. Personally, I'm more of a anti-blackout. I'm getting tired of that mess. I would love to see the Astros here live and in living color on the MLB at Bad App because I don't currently have AT&T Sportsnet part of my package on television. That's kind of the big thing for me. But, Rob, thank you so much for coming on. We'll talk to you down the road. Enjoy the rest of your weekend, brother. All right. Thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you coming on the program. That was Rob Fondo, host of the Astros Baseball Podcast. Appreciate him joining the program as per the usual. We're going to go ahead and take a quick timeout. And when we do come back, we're going to get into my five favorite picks to click with a little bit of a twist. What's that twist, you ask? Well, I'm going to give you some futures that you need to dig in on. So trust me, we'll eat shortly when it comes to the conversation about sports betting and what you need to be doing with some of your future bets next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back to Under the Dome with CD. One final segment in hour number one of this program. And, of course, we're going to go out to the lines of Las Vegas. And I'll give you five picks to click when it comes to your futures in both the MLB and the NBA. And we'll do it a little differently because it doesn't allow you to do these as a parlay, but it's still going to be pretty fun to see how it indeed pays off. We're going to put a dollar each on these. Because to start with the playoffs, the MLB season just got started. So we're going to go AL Central, the Houston Astros. They'll win that outright. American League Central, it'll be the Chicago White Sox. So those two, those are both plus 215. Then we go with the Golden State Warriors taking the Western Conference at plus 390. Milwaukee Bucks, I got them winning the Eastern Conference at plus 225 odds. And we'll throw down a little bit on the champion as well. I think we go with the Golden State Warriors at plus 850. And again, using the typical rules, we usually go a $5 parlay, but we can't put all $5 on it, on them, like all together. But we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to be throwing down some money on these. And we even got a little bit of a free boost that we're going to probably take advantage of. So let's go ahead and do that. But also, if all those pay off, all five of those pay off, Yours truly, the world-famous CD, gets a cool $20.57. And that's more than enough for me to be pretty doggone happy with my lot in life right now. We'll go ahead and take a quick time out. When we come back, hour number two, we've got Kyle T. Mosley. We've also got coming up good friend of the program, Cam Rogers. We'll talk some golf as well. So much to get to in so little time. 
back after this on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. We are Southwest Louisiana's sports station. 